1988, I was still in school, and I had a teacher who wanted to give us a good lesson in civics. So he took us on a field trip. I remember the day really well. We got in those yellow school buses, and we drove across town to a park where we gathered with thousands of other people who were already there. Those thousands of people had all gathered around a stage in the center of the park where a man was scheduled to come and make a speech. I remember a couple of things about the day. I remember that those thousands of people around the stage were all holding up placards that had the man's name on it. I also remember a high school marching band just on one side of the stage playing patriotic tunes. But what I remember the most is the Secret Service guys walking around like this. I thought that was pretty cool. And I've told you that brief story for a reason. You know it's obvious to you and to me what was happening that day. I don't need to explain that the man who made the speech on that stage was running for office. He was running for president. All I told you about were the placards with his name, the marching band playing patriotic tunes, and the Secret Service, and you knew exactly what was happening that day. Well, the story of the triumphal entry is the exact same to the people living in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus when they heard this story of a man on a donkey, of people taking off their cloaks, and of stones crying out. They knew exactly what this story was about because they knew their Old Testament. They knew the prophecies and the history of the Old Testament, just like you knew what the Secret Service meant. They knew what these texts, you have an insert in your bulletin with just a few of the Old Testament prophecies and histories that the people of Jerusalem would have already known by heart at the time of Jesus. So that when they saw things like a man riding on a donkey and people taking off their cloaks and a reference to stones crying out, they would know what this man was all about. That he is the Prince of Peace. That he is the King of Kings. And that he came to set things right. We've heard this text preached probably countless times. For those of you who grew up in the church, you've gone to Palm Sunday before, You've heard the story of Palm Sunday, and I'll be honest, I've heard this text preached a number of times, but as I thought about preaching with you today, I recognize that a lot of the times that I've heard this preached, the story has really been made to be about me and my response to Jesus. I remember as a kid hearing this thing about the stones crying out and saying, now Nathan, if you stop singing and praising, the stones will have to cry out, so keep singing. It's kind of a, you know, a guilt law thing that was given to me there. I remember in seminary, I heard this whole sermon, and the bottom line was, be the donkey. <laughs> be humble, lift up Jesus. Now, that's a good message, but again, it's, it's about me. And in reality, this story points to the one in the center of the picture, the one on the donkey entering into Jerusalem. This story is primarily about him. So I'm going to attempt to do a sermon today that focuses on him and what this story says about him. It says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he's the King of Kings, and that he has come to set things right. And we know that by the images that we see in the story. First of all, we know he's the Prince of Peace because he rode in 
on a donkey. In verse 35 of the reading today, after all of that explicit description of how they found the donkey, which I'm not going to go into today, it says this in verse 35, they brought the colt, the young donkey, to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on it, they set Jesus on it. I want you just to picture this for a moment. Jesus sitting upon a young donkey riding into Jerusalem. The people in the time of Jesus would have known Zechariah, the prophet, and they would have known that this was a promise that Jesus came to bring peace. But let's just picture this for a moment. A full-grown man riding a young donkey. It probably looked a little silly. Probably looked a little ridiculous. Because usually when dignitaries or kings or leaders came riding into town, they weren't riding on a donkey. They were riding on a war horse, a mighty steed that would show their power. And in fact, if you look at the Zechariah 9 prophecy, it says that he would come in riding a donkey because he's humble and he came to bring peace. And in the next verse it says there that the war horses and the chariots and the weapons of war would all be broken. So Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to make a statement. It looked silly, it looked absurd, but he knew that they knew their Old Testament. And so he knew that when they saw him on a donkey, they would say, this is the man who brings peace. This is the Prince of Peace. You know, in our day and age, we kind of understand this. We kind of understand that the vehicle on which you ride can make a statement about who you are. Do you remember the 1990s? Do you remember Hummers? <laughs> you remember Hummers? Some of you are trying to delete that from our history, but we had Hummers in our culture. People drove these Hummers around, and I think they got like seven or eight miles per gallon. And I remember one year I was watching the Oscars on TV. This is before I had kids, so I could watch television for fun. I was watching the Oscars, and I remember the celebrities were pulling up to the red carpet in their Hummer stretch limousines, and it was one after the other. Maybe you remember this. And one year, it was like Hummer stretch limousine pulls up, and a celebrity pops out on the red carpet, you know, making a, a splash. And, and one year, it was like Hummer limousine pulls up, Hummer limousine pulls up. But what's this? What's coming? A Prius. <laughs> Do you remember? I think it was Brad Pitt who arrived at the Oscars in a Prius, and it looked silly, it looked absurd, but he was making a statement. He was making a statement about who he is and what he believes in. So we understand this, don't we? Even though his vehicle of arriving looked silly, it was making a powerful statement. Same thing with Jesus. He could have ridden in on a war horse. He could have summoned an entire army to come with him. Some people had that expectation. Jesus could have come in with symbols of worldly power. But he came in on a silly little donkey that was probably smaller than he was because he was making a statement that he came to bring peace, that he is the prince of peace. Now, if that's all we knew about the story, you might just think, okay, so Jesus was just some peace-loving hippie kind of guy. Just kind of came into Jerusalem saying, peace, everybody. And some people have made Jesus into that kind of figure. And if the donkey was all we knew of the story, we might be tempted to do that. But there's more here. This story tells us more than just that he was the Prince of Peace. It also tells us he's the King. 
He's the king of kings. We know that because people took off their cloaks and laid it on the road before him. Let's pick up the story again now in verse 36. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you'll notice on your insert there, the Old Testament references to the Mount of Olives and to the blessing of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. These are all references that everybody would have known to the kingship of the person for whom they were bringing their laud and glory and honor. You notice in the second king's scripture there, when Jehu was suddenly announced as king of Israel, what does it say? The people suddenly and spontaneously took off their cloaks and they laid it on the steps before him. They didn't want this brand new king to have his feet touch the ground. This was commonly understood. If a king was walking into your town, you would take off your cloak and lay it before him as a way of saying, you are our king, and you don't even need to touch the ground of our dirty city. It was a way of elevating the king to their rightful place. This is what the people are doing for Jesus. He's riding in on the donkey, and they're taking off their cloaks. They're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we will realize that it's easy, it's easier to accept Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Who doesn't want peace? Who doesn't want the person to come into our lives and bring peace? But it's harder to accept him as our king. And this is what he's saying about himself here. By allowing the people to lay their cloaks before him. Let me just put this in perspective. Imagine for a moment that our youth director, Lance, Poor guy, I'm about to pick on him when he's homesick. We should pray for him. Let's imagine that Lance, let's imagine that all the youth come up to Lance and they're saying, hey Lance, you're really the senior pastor around here. We think you'd be a great senior pastor. Now, what if I went over to Lance and I said, Lance, tell him to stop saying that. What if Lance said, let him say it. <laughs> Some of you know Lance, he'd probably do that, right? Well, what would Lance be saying then? He'd be saying, I, I do think of myself as the one who runs the place, you know? When the, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they tell him to rebuke his disciples for saying, blessed is the king, for laying their cloaks before him, Jesus doesn't stop them. He's declaring that he is the king, the king of all kings, the king of our lives. It's hard for us to accept him as king, but that's what he's saying about himself here. We like to think of the people in authority over us as people we vote into power, and we can vote out of power if we get upset with them. But a king doesn't get our vote. He's our king. We, our only job, if we have a king, is to surrender to him. This is why it's hard for us to accept him as a king, because our human hearts don't want to surrender to anybody. But that's what he's saying. That's what this text is saying about him, that he is the king. It's been fun listening to Pastor David as he's gotten home from his, he had a couple of weeks out in the field. For those of you who don't know, Pastor David is our Stanford campus pastor, and he's also an army chaplain. And he just spent a couple of weeks out in the field, and he came back with these stories of his time there, and he keeps using this phrase that I'm paying attention to. 
and it makes sense when you're in the army, it makes sense to him. He says, for example, he's an army chaplain, and he has four other army chaplains under him. And he tells the story of this general who came over to where he was, and he describes the general as a very powerful general. The general has 250,000 soldiers under him. You hear this phrase that's common in the army, people have people under them, which means they have people over them. It makes sense when you're in the army because there's a chain of command, there's a hierarchy, but in the civilian world and in the spiritual world, we don't really want to have a hierarchy. We don't want to have somebody over us because that would mean we are under them and we would surrender to them. And one of the reasons we don't like this idea, we don't like having anyone over us, is because we've seen human beings, when they get in authority, when they get in power, we've seen them abuse it. We've seen them silence the people under them. So we wonder, is, is God going to be like that? Is he a good authority? Is he a good king? Well, that leads us to the third thing that this story tells us about Jesus. The donkey showed that he's a prince of peace. The cloaks coming off showed us that he's the king of kings. But his reference to the stones tell us what kind of king he is. He's a good king. This requires a little bit of explanation. In verse 39 and 40, the disciples are crying out, blessed is the king. And then in verse 40, he answers the Pharisees who are telling him to rebuke them. And he says, I tell you, famously he says this, if these, my disciples, were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, as I said, I've heard this preached a number of times, and usually this is interpreted as Jesus referencing nature, saying, if people stop praising me, my nature will cry out and praise me. But I'm wondering, is it possible that as everything else in this story has an Old Testament reference, every other detail in the story has a prophecy or a part of Israel's history that are pointing to who Jesus is, is it possible that his reference to the stones crying out is the very same thing? If you look in Habakkuk chapter 2, it's in your handout. Habakkuk is one of these Old Testament minor prophets. He has really hard things to hear. He pronounces woe and he pronounces judgment over God's people. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, he's pronouncing woe to Babylon, the great enemy of Israel. And Habakkuk is over in Babylon and he's riding, it says in this text, he's riding up to their city walls. And look what he says to them, Habakkuk 2, verse 11. He says, The stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. What is the stone crying out? What is the beam saying? Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Let me explain what's going on here. Babylon was a beautiful city in the ancient world. In fact, it boasted one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. It's a beautiful city. But Habakkuk knew how they built their city. They built it by plundering the nations around them, by capturing those people as slaves, by bringing those slaves back to Babylon and forcing them to build their city. So Habakkuk comes up to the beautiful city of Babylon. He sees the beautiful walls and he says, nice city you got here. But if these walls could talk, they would cry out for the injustice that happened in order to build this city. 
We wonder if Habakkuk maybe saw the different color stones. There'd be layers of stones, and all of a sudden there'd be a new color. Maybe he even saw Jerusalem stone, which would indicate that the Babylonians went to Jerusalem and plundered it and took their supplies and built their own city taller. Habakkuk might be saying, those stones cry out. They make it obvious that an injustice happened here. I had an experience somewhat similar to Habakkuk. When I was in high school, I was learning about my family history. And I learned about my great-great-great-grandfather, Captain Thomas James Hart. And Thomas James Hart had a plantation in South Carolina, in what is now called Hartsville, South Carolina. And I remember my cousin was doing research on him, and I saw all these documents, and I was really impressed. Photographs of the plantation, it was beautiful. And there were some sheets of paper that had a listing of his property. And it had land and it had farm equipment. And then there were 98 names. 98 names, human beings, that my great-great-great-grandfather owned. And I don't know if any of you have ever been on one of those plantations in the South. You go there and you visit it and it's beautiful. I like to picture my my ancestors lounging on the porch, having a nice cup of tea in their fancy clothes. But then I also picture in a flash, who nailed those boards? Who built that beautiful porch? And I wonder if these walls could talk. The people, the human beings who were silenced into slavery, what they built now cries out for them. That's what Habakkuk was possibly saying when he went to Babylon. The stones will cry out from the wall for all the injustice that happened here. And I wonder, is Jesus referencing that? When his disciples are crying out, this is the king, was it the first time in history that finally the stones were silenced? All the injustices of all the world, all the people silenced by oppression, the stones crying out for them. Finally, the solution to all the injustices of the world was coming into town. The Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, who came to set things right. He was a good king. And he came not just to ride into town and make a statement, but he came to die. He came to die on the cross to answer the cries of injustice of the whole world. On page 122 of the Fleming Rutledge book, she's talking about this very thing. She's talking about all the injustice of the whole world. She says, gross injustice demonstrates a basic premise. In our world, something is terribly wrong and cries out to be put right. And she goes on from there to describe that Jesus, in dying on the cross, was setting things right. He looked at all the injustice, all the oppression, all the sin, everything that was broken, and he said, this moves me. I hear the cries of the stones, and I've come to set it right. I've come to do what's necessary to receive the wrath, to receive the full punishment, the full consequence of all these things that are broken in the world. And he received all that upon himself as he hung there on the cross. But not only that, to rise again, to have the last word over death. So that when we look at the news and we see those horrific images of injustice around the world, or if any of you have ever been silenced 
by an abuser or an oppressor in your life, then only the stones could cry out for justice for you. We can know that Jesus came to do something about all of that. He came to receive the consequence of death, the consequence of sin, but also to conquer it, to have the last word. Every time you see an image like that, every time you see oppression or sin or brokenness, you can say that his resurrection has the last word over this. And what he started on the cross in the resurrection, he will complete in his second coming. In one of my Bible studies this week, it came time, we studied this text as we always do. We study the text uh, on the, before the uh, Sunday on which it's preached. And it came time for prayer requests. We were praying for various family members who were sick and all the normal things you pray about. But one man sitting there around the table was particularly moved. He must have had the news on that morning. And he saw the images that we all saw this week of horrible injustice and oppression. And he kind of threw up his arms at the time of prayer request, and he said, I, I guess we should pray for all the terrible things going on in the world, and he just kind of felt like at a loss. And I thought about that a lot between then and now, and I thought this reference to the stones crying out connects what he saw on the news to what Jesus was doing in the triumphal entry. He was coming to declare to the whole world that he came to bring peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the king of kings, and he came to set things right. Everything that's broken in the world would begin to be mended through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his imminent return. He's the prince of peace. He's the king of kings, and he came to set things right. That's what this story points to. It points to that central figure in the middle of the story. There are implications for us. We can be the donkey. We can take off our cloaks and worship him with our lives. But I just want to end with a promise. Not just what we're supposed to do in response to Jesus, but these promises that are given in this story can bring us comfort today. Maybe it's just enough for you today to know that he came to bring peace. Is there anybody here who needs a little bit of peace? There's war in the world. Maybe there's war in your workplace, in your household, even in your own heart. We have a Prince of Peace. Maybe for others of you, you've been on the faith journey long enough, but you haven't surrendered to the king. You think you can vote him out if he upsets you. Maybe it's time for you today just to say, you are my king. I submit to you. You're my authority. You're above me. I'm beneath you. You're my king. Maybe there's others of you who just need to know he's a good king. He came to set things right. He sees the injustices. He sees your pain. He's not immune to it. He's not aloof to it. He came to do something about it. He's a king that brings justice. Even when the stones are crying out for justice and nobody seems to hear them, he's heard them. And he's come to set things right. Brothers and sisters, we have a prince of peace. We have a king of kings. And he's come to set things right. Amen.